So before we look at First Peter, who knew five chapters could take a whole semester of study, right? You knew that would happen, Steve? No, I didn't know that would happen. Oh. I know it can happen. Oh, it can happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, so before we start, and uh, we're going to look a little bit more this morning at chapter four, uh, just again, probably covering some of the same path Aaron led you on last week, uh, but I uh, wanted to make Didn't sure we... Didn't recap me since I wasn't here. Include. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so let's pray. Almighty God, we are grateful to be your beloved, and we are grateful to be the recipients of your unconditional, unmerited, immeasurable love. And so, Father, we ask that you would, um, by your grace, infuse into us uh, your will, that you would write on our hearts your truth, and that where, where we have clung to beliefs that may not be in harmony with your truth, you would help, you would remove those, and uh, you would replace them with the bounty of your goodness. And so, Father, we entrust ourselves in this time into your care, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, 1 Peter chapter 4, and let me see if I know which question that will be, uh, we'll be focusing on, if you're having, taking notes. Um, yeah, like question six. We'll start with question six. I know we've kind of gone over that a few times, but I uh, want to make sure we mine it for all it's worth. So I'm going to read from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 14. Peter says, Dear friends, and this is the NIV, and I actually don't like that translation, so here I, I'm going to... <laughs> yeah, it, 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 the best word there is beloved. That's you have beloved? That is the best word to use there, and it's actually a word that Peter seems to make up. Um, we don't find it, at least in my understanding, it's nowhere else in the New Testament. Peter makes this word up for this moment, for this purpose, and it is a form. He's kind of taking a couple of words, mashed them together. Peter does that, and one of them is agape. And so that's what he's saying is, He's addressing you as those who are unconditionally loved. And, and so, I mean, that's, you know, dear friends is great, but boy, it captures just the minutest amount, I think, of what Peter is saying here when he says, you who have been un and are unconditionally loved. Wouldn't it call for a new word over there? I mean, I was just thinking, if you're trying to say it, this is how God views you. I mean, it, it would call for a new word. I, I, yeah. I, I don't know, but I was just thinking, he's trying to express Christ wants to tell you he loves you. How, what, what word would I, you know, I, I would be confused. I mean, It'd make you, you stop and think. If he makes up a new word, <laughs> and you got to go, hmm, I think Peter just called me an unconditional loved one. Pretty much. Yeah. And that sounds... Pardon? Where, where are we oh, at? I'm in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not what are you talking about? <laughs> what are you guys talking about? Yeah, not only is Peter making up a word, but Jim's making up all kinds of stuff. <laughs> so, 1 Peter 4, uh, verse four, 12. Sorry, verse 12. So, I'm just going to say, beloved. And again, in the context, so important. As Peter begins by saying, this is who you are. You are those who have been unconditionally loved by God. And then he's going to give them a word that's challenging. It's going to be a hard word to hear. And so Peter is saying, here's the tension moment. 
The truth is, you are unconditionally loved by God. Believe that. Receive that. Because the thing I'm going to say next would be easy for you to say, wait a minute, if I'm unconditionally loved by God, doesn't that mean? Doesn't that mean everything goes well? Doesn't that mean no hardships? Doesn't that mean no suffering? Doesn't that mean just constant blessing? And so Peter's going to say, on the one hand, you are. Believe this. You are unconditionally loved. And also believe you're going to face some hardships. The two are not, I mean, one doesn't negate the other. Either direction. Being unconditionally loved doesn't negate suffering in hard times. Going through suffering in hard times doesn't negate being unconditionally loved. Both are true at the same time. So he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. Like, like don't be completely caught off guard thinking that this shouldn't have happened. And then he says, But rejoice that you, are particip- that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. This is a theme Peter has touched on a couple of times, right? If you suffer because you did something that deserves suffering, that's just consequences. That's the law of the harvest. That's if you plant corn, you get corn. If you plant wheat, you get wheat. If you do these kinds of choices, you get these kinds of consequences. I mean, that's just part of God's created order. And what happens um, for two reasons, I think, in this world, sometimes the unrighteous right, get away with things because it's a broken world. And so justice doesn't work right in a broken world. But more importantly, unrighteousness doesn't get you know, consequences immediately because God is gracious. And the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. And people are blessed regardless. And so, and the Spirit holds back evil. The Holy Spirit, that's one of His, not only does He work faith within us, but He restrains evil. And only God knows how awful it will get as we, we come to the end times before Christ's return. Because the Scriptures tell us it will get worse before it gets better. So, kind of bunny trail there for a minute. But so Peter has been saying a couple different times, he's been talking about the suffering, he's been distinguishing the reasons for suffering, and here he comes out with this bold statement, right? Lots of tension here. Beloved, strange, you know, suffering's going to happen, and it shouldn't catch you off guard. It's not strange. And what your response will be is to rejoice. Your Your rejoicing can be. It is an option for you. Rejoicing in the time of suffering is one of your options that you can choose from. And the reason for it, so here's the belief that Peter attaches to that, is because we participate in the sufferings of Christ. Our sufferings don't do what Christ's sufferings did. But there's a a great phenomenon that happens when people suffer together. It binds them together. You know? I've, I've led missions trips over and over again. And I use missions trips as the example because it seems like missions trips, more than retreats or fun gatherings or whatever, provide more opportunity for crisis, 
if I can say it that way. And so when I prepare my team, you know, especially the teams of middle schoolers and high schoolers for these missions trips, one of the things I would say through that discipleship process is, you know, even leading up to the trip, we'll encounter some, some hardships, especially if Satan doesn't want us to go and bless people. He's going to try and interfere. He's going to try and break our team apart. He's going to try and destroy unity. He, you know, he's going to make it so that we all hate each other by the time we get on the trip. And then how are we going to bless anybody? So I said, prepare them. Just like Peter's saying, don't think something strange is happening when the sufferings come. And then I would say, and we're going to go on this trip. And we might experience some crisis. And by the time we went on the trip and when we got back, if crisis didn't happen, this is the response I would get from some of my teens at times. They go, Jim, no crisis. And I would say, maybe next time. <laughs> because in crisis, we bind together. And we see that we are actually binding together with Christ as well, sharing in something. Sure, you can share in some laughs and good times. But boy, when you share in a moment of suffering, that's deep. And so Peter says when we suffer, we can actually rejoice because it is binding us closer to Christ. We are sharing something with Christ. Just as he suffered for us, we can suffer for his namesake. So rejoicing is an option. And then he says, and if you are, or, and, and then his glory is revealed. So the, the outcome, so now he's saying here's the consequence. The outcome of that suffering could be the glorifying of Christ. Isn't it interesting that uh, uh, it would presuppose that there's no spiritual warfare going on. There's no conflict. It would be like, it would be like Jesus going through the, uh, uh, the, uh, the, not the epistles, but the, uh, the Gospels or Paul going through the book of Acts with no no conflict. Everything everything was smooth. And I, you, you just say, when you're taking someone else's kingdom, I would assume that there's probably going to be a battle or two. And probably so. Yeah, that's why Jesus says first he had to come and bind up the strong man. Exactly. Before he was able to loot, loot the, yeah. the property. But let's say that uh, I guess in America we don't really look at the battle all, that there will be much of a battle. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe, maybe. no. I mean, we're how often are people surprised? I can't believe that happened to me. It's just, you know, you're, you're dealing in a realm that uh, you may not have been paying attention for. Steve, you bring up, a, I think, an interesting point, and if I could follow yeah, that absolutely. path for a minute. You mentioned our culture here in America, and I don't mean to pick on our culture. I'm very grateful that God has made it, you know, given us an opportunity to live in this place and the freedoms that we enjoy here. Um, but one of the things I think that is maybe connected to that culture, not only is it that, and maybe I've said this before, in our culture, I think there's the idea that we can choose whatever we want to choose. And if there are consequences, I want to choose whatever consequences I go, I face, right? I think that's, I think that's human nature. But I think it's especially maybe fostered here in our culture. Do whatever you want to do. And if there are consequences, we'll let you choose those two. And if you can't, I mean, if all of a sudden we say you can't choose your consequences, then everybody's upset. But, yeah. I think it's kind of interesting, like, if you look at the tribal and the places that aren't really like the citizen they go through all of these griefs and they have trials thrown at them constantly and you don't really hear about depression and here in America we have things so easy and, and depression, depression is, is everywhere off the so it's kind of like it's almost like crises are needed <laughs> to some degree Good point. because without them people get depressed it's weird mm -hmm. it um, is kind of a strange phenomenon that's like, you know, we've, we've been on uh, on 
international shooting competitions, especially when they come to the U.S., that there are certain countries that every uh, athlete has a minder. They don't go anywhere without that person. Minding them. Following right along. In fact, we had one uh, uh, in Fort Benning, the gal from Bulgaria, won the rapid fire pistol for women. And the 25 meter and where they had to get drug tested was about a half mile away. So Chris offered to take the gal in her car to go to drug testing, and she couldn't go without the minders there. So she got in the car, and the two minders got in the car, and they followed her. Ushered her along. Every, every place they went, that they had somebody looking over their shoulder, and if they started talking to someone one-on-one, -on -one, that minder was right there to move them along. You don't do that. And sure. You don't form a bond with someone that's not uh, from your country or your. Well, and, that, and again, that that focus of forming the bond, and so not only I think, Delisa, your insight there is tremendous. Mm -hmm. That, you know, we are so depressed in this in this culture because we have expectations of everything being easy and wonderful, and if there's any amount of hardship, we're disappointed and discouraged and depressed and and why me. And how could this happen to me? And what does Peter say? So, like something strange is happening? Mm -hmm. I mean, what a great phrase. But, and so it leads to that depression. And, and so, yes, truly, sufferings, if the choice is to rejoice and see that we are being bound, it's a binding with Christ, seems like a, not that it changes the, it doesn't mean that the hardship is not true or real, or just that we do Pollyanna positive thinking exercises, it's still real. But boy, what a different outcome, right? Which is even, again, what Peter says the outcome would be instead of being depressed, now the glory of Christ is revealed. And again, I meant, please understand, depression is a real thing. I get it. But there's, there's a, I think grace is sufficient. Yeah. Do, you, uh, do you think that uh, where we are in a political sense as a nation, not Pocatello or Lutheran or think that as a nation, I, I don't see where we're at right now with the division of, of different aspects of it and getting better. I mean, basically, this is going to come in really handy because I, you know... No, that's great, love, Steve. Love, it's going to come in really handy. I like that. <laughs> well, well, the thing of it is, is as you're challenged and uh, uh, from a, a media standpoint, uh, uh, all aspects educationally, pick your, pick your direction. It seems like there's an attack on being able to speak the truth in love, show kindness, uh, operate and in some life-giving flow. It looks like any attempt at that's going to be coming under. From what I'm observing, it looks like there's a good chance you're going to be mocked, laughed at, um, being honest. You know, mm -hmm. pick your Christian uh, attitude. It looks like that in the future may have uh, some struggles. And and I would I would agree. And I think just like Peter's warning these folks, it's a word for Christians in all generations that we always need to be prepared to face suffering. And that's a belief that Peter is wanting, and a perspective that I think Peter is wanting us to adopt, that believe that suffering will happen. And he goes on and explains a little bit more, but thanks, yeah. Steve. The other thing, and I'm sorry, Jess or Mary, I thought somebody was going to say something. No? Okay. One other thing that Steve, you brought up for us, and I think that Rod echoed, is that in our culture again, 
and even, you know, Delisa, when you talk about that depression, everything is really personally oriented, right? My personal suffering. And yet, what Peter is saying here is, there is something much greater than you. And your personal suffering, your personal suffering is actually part of something greater. And it's, it's obviously part of sharing in Christ's sufferings, but even greater for those around us. And, and so that's, it changes the dynamic tremendously when I realize it's not just about my personal suffering and why is this happening to me, but my suffering is part of a greater landscape. So when I was on my vacation um, or holiday in England, yeah. Europe, um, I actually listened to Max Licato's It's Not About Me. And he touches a lot on that, about how the world um, has this thing that it's all about how you feel and how this is and everything, when our life in Christ is really ultimately, it's not about us individually, it's about us as a community. And when you live that way, you lose that expectation that it's all focused in on you and that the rewards you reap from it are so much greater because you're not involved in yourself. Mm-hmm. so much. I thought it was very, it was well done. That is, that's a powerful word for us because we, while we are benefactors, mm-hmm. right, we are co-heirs with Christ. I mean, that's, that's some personal benefit there. But Jesus taught over and over again, the one you were talking about that, Jess, the one that came to my mind immediately was um, the vine and the branches. Mm-hmm. And, and even now, I mean, I could think of things Jesus said or Paul wrote or, or things of that nature, but Jesus says, you know, yeah, it's good that you're attached, right? As a branch, it's good that you're attached to the vine, but the goodness is really that you're bearing fruit. It's for someone else. Yeah. And, and so Jesus says, abide in me, not for your own sake, but so that you bear fruit in other people's lives. And, it's, you know, he goes to that, you know, that you bear fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. That's how it's Jesus... much sweeter. Yes. Than by yourself. <laughs> exactly. And in the end, Jesus says, and here's what fruit looks like, loving one another. Yeah. That's... Well, that's a gift. I mean, that, that's almost a miracle. Oh, right. I mean, you know, you, you, people look at it, but what is your talk about uh, in, inflection of, of, of uh, being, feeling sorry for yourself... When, when you're when you're going through a hardship over there and other people know you're going through a hard I was thinking of force uh, I was uh, what a mighty man I mean just being able to go through that that's a, a huge powerful statement of me of this guy is being hit hard but but he's walking through it and I'm just going to you know a force can make that type of a uh, a statement of his life and, and poured out over there, man. It's a it's a stepping stone of rejoicing of saying I can walk through some some difficult. I mean, it's a uh, an ad, not an advertisement, but a, a a flag of something you could say. There's a mighty man of valor. I want to follow after that. Oh yeah, and the scriptures tell us it's good to follow the example of, of people, of that people are, walking in the I faith. Uh, Forrest came up, spent a couple hours with me good. Uh, Friday. Good, and he's doing. Very well, but it's going to be a long, oh, yeah, yeah. long well, process. It sounds like being a Christian. It's going to be a long, long process. We have another, another good example of that is Paul. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. he had a thorn. Mm-hmm. Yes. But he prayed and he said yeah. uh, that God told him that uh, my grace is sufficient yes. for you. And I think a lot of us have come to that point. Yeah. <laughs> that you pray to take my back yeah. pain away, but it's not. 
So I think God is telling me something, and I'm going to have to live with that and say, your grace is going to be sufficient. That's all I need. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, Rod, what you pointed out echoed what you said about Forrest and, the, and about the Apostle Paul himself. Is right. Then we see how these people live that, their faith in Christ out in the times of their suffering. And that's what bolsters our own faith. Yeah. How they, how you live through the suffering bolsters our faith. And I think that's Paul's statement. Yes, the, God's grace is sufficient for me with this suffering, this thorn that I live with. But how I live with that suffering is for everybody else. I think it didn't ensure also a testimony. A lot, a lot of people don't know the responsibilities of other people. A Rod's pain or a chemotherapy or the pastor's leadership of, of going through 25 different things and the daily burden of packing a weight, uh, a mom's taking care of kids. It might be, I mean, when you, it's almost like a gift that you can experience a little portion, just a small portion of what the other people are going through because you don't know. You just assume they've, I wish I had it as good as Nan. She has no problems. <laughs> <laughs> she gets to pet a dog every day, and I don't. Poor me. With, you know, we're just kind of in ignorance. But saying, your point taken is you have no idea you have what no kind idea of suffering Nan might be experiencing, right. or Nan might not know what kind of suffering you're experiencing. But, 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 and it's a gift to be able to, to walk through with that other people yeah. on that. Which is another moment that we really can't dive into, Steve, but I think what you revealed to us is without that authentic transparency among God's people, this very thing that Peter's talking about gets short-circuited. Because then I don't get, it just looks like life must be easy for you. That's why it's going, why you're walking through it so well. And never get the insight into your faith. So without that transparency and authenticity among God's children, we do feel like we're walking we don't get the benefit, the faith-bolstering benefit of seeing how somebody else is living out their faith, rejoicing and being able to share in the sufferings of Christ in their own sufferings. See, reading about Paul, okay, that, that does something for me. I mean, it helps. But knowing what Rod's going through and seeing how he lives his faith every day. And David. Yeah. Yeah. Or Forrest. Boy, that God gives us that to know that we're living... Right? I mean, Delisa, your family? Yeah. Right? To see how you live out your faith in those moments, that changes things for me. So I can read about Paul, but watching you, that's a different, that's a different deal. Well, I think that's one of the things that I struggle with when people say that I don't have to go to church, or I don't need to go to church, or there's a difference between have to and need to. Mm -hmm. I feel a need to go to church because... You know, especially with today's society, about being me, you know, and the social media, and they talk about the depression rates because everybody lives in this superficial world that, oh, their life is so good, and this is so good for the vast majority of it. There's a lot of bullying and things that go on, too. But this is where you see people live out things, and this is where you can come back and say, I have hope that there is going to be something better than where I'm at at this moment. Um, and you know, so I struggle when people are like, "Oh, I don't need that," and I'm like, "No, you really do need a community that you can come and say, hey, you know, it really sucks what you're going through, but I'm so glad that we're here to love you, and we're glad to see that you can still have faith that there's hope here in this darkness, because this world is not right." The whole New Testament t says that you have to have, be 
hear the word. And yeah, you might be able to do it on your own, but it's very, very difficult. It's a much better to hear the word from a whole bunch of people, like now, and be in the same, essentially the same boat as they are. Uh, That's how when one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. And when one part of the body rejoices, the whole body rejoices. And, and Rod, I thank you for bringing that up. I mean, that is a message of, I mean, back to our vine and the branches. Jesus does not teach that he's one vine with one branch. It's one vine with many branches. And he teaches that he prunes that too. Mm-hmm. I mean, he prunes routinely. For the sake of love, yeah. right? For the sake of more fruit. I had a spiritual dad when I first came. I was 18 over there, and you know, I was kind of a lone ranger because I was brought a barbarian. But he said, "Well, you can be. You don't have to go to church. You can be a one tough ram." But he says, "There's enough wolves out there that you're just not tough enough." <laughs> <laughs> so go, message: Go to church. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. So he said, "There's a place of safety in numbers to the degree of prayer covering, uh, meeting needs, uh, wisdom. How many times has wisdom been a instruction of a, a common?" Uh, problem could be solved with a little bit of do this and you know things will get better but you're too proud or stupid or ignorant or or boastful whatever your you got spiritual earwax whatever whatever your issue is that you don't ask the body of Christ what the deal is right and there's there's wisdom in the counsel of many oh yeah and so as Rod pointed out already it's good to hear God's word from many voices many voices so I'm going to, it may feel like I'm going to deviate here for a second, but it's just really to kind of emphasize the point, and Jess, you led us right into that with your segue about social media. Interestingly enough, I don't know if some of you have heard this, and it's just it's, uh, Facebook and Instagram, I mean, they're one conglomerate these days. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to hide the likes, at least that's the talk. You know, so if I'm looking, I don't, I'm not on Facebook, so I've just, this has been explained to me, that when you read somebody's information, what's called their post, you can choose to like it with a click of a button and then it tallies how many likes your information gets so like you were pointing out not getting enough likes it's depressing, it's depressing. and especially comparatively you see everybody else's posts getting more likes and the phenomenon that they're seeing is if it doesn't reach a certain like threshold mm-hmm. people remove their posts and, and it's disappointing and discouraging things of that nature so they're going to hide <coughs> them yeah. and because they're so concerned about people's self-esteem so, okay, um, but it's still a belief system at work. It is still a belief system at work, and it's based on Satan's lie from the garden that says your performance plus somebody else's opinion equals your value. That's Satan's lie, and he uses it repeatedly and very effectively in the most insidious ways. And, it, and it's a belief system that he gets us to adopt. And that's, again, what Peter is really stressing here. You know, throughout his whole letter, but especially in these verses, he's saying, you know, the option you used to see when you encountered suffering was to say, why is this happening? This seems strange. What? I'm a good guy. This shouldn't be happening to me. I work hard. I, you know, I make all the right choices. And so this seems odd that I would be suffering. You know, and Peter's saying, you're living by the wrong belief. You need to have your belief reshaped. There's some really good uh, things about that one. Uh, why? Uh, how can the clay tell the potter what to do? Yeah. Right? The, uh, and this is, uh, Paul uses this in two of his letters, in Corinthians and in uh, Romans. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
that the potter takes the clay and molds what he wants to out of it. And what does the pot have to say about it? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> no, and in fact, it's the potter who not only decides what it will be, but it's the potter who esteems its value. Right? The clay doesn't look at itself now and say, oh, I'm worth something. But it's still the potter who assigns value. And that's the truth that, that I think Peter is really after here is rather than that lie of Satan, believing that in it's all its various forms, the truth of God is he loves you. He says you're valuable. You're valuable. And how can we judge somebody that created us? All right. <laughs> Going back to his opening word, beloved. Yeah, and we talk about like making the good choices, but I also think an important part of being a Christian, being God's child, is when we make the bad choices, He corrects us. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people in the world, though, can make those bad choices, and they never get the correction. Sure. And so I think the correction is also something to be blessed. Mm -hmm. Author of Hebrews says, if you're not corrected, consider yourself illegitimate and unloved. But you're loved. Where would it be if you didn't have the scriptures? You didn't have a New Testament, Old Testament. How would you know how God viewed you? Yeah, right? I mean, well, then you come up with stuff like this. So, uh, I don't know how many of you are familiar with Albert Ellis. He was an American psychologist in the 70s, and he came up with the term, the 12 irrational beliefs. Um, and so, for example, the very first one is that this belief that we start to live by is that we have a dire necessity to be loved by significant others for almost everything I do. Wow, is that not the performance trap right there? For everything I do, I'm, everything I do, I'm trying to earn the love of those significant people around me. And if it feels like I don't have it, it's devastating. And I am driven to try and perform to get it. Because, boy, it is a dire, I'll die without it. That's dire necessity. That's, now, Albert Ellis was not a believer, but he noticed that this driving lie in people's lives was destroying them. He comes up with different answers. Basically, he says, just forget about what people think. Anyway. <laughs> but another one, another irrational or false belief or lie is how I think we would call it, is that it is horrible when things are not the way I want them to be. And it's depressing. It's devastating. If things are not the way I want them to be, then I am devastated. It's happening in politics today. It's happening every, everywhere. And in fact, I think people do give us hints when we talk to them. And we'll be able to tell if... I don't agree, it's wrong. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, and if it didn't go my way, the way I hoped it would, I'm devastated. Do you find that frightening? I mean, I wear a... Terrifying. That, that, uh, I'm a moron sign over there. Like, I know something. You know, you don't, you don't even know what the question, let alone the facts are. So when you're making statements and whatnot, it's almost like you're operating in, in ignorance. I mean... If you, if you even knew what the questions were, you probably would be a little more humble. Probably so. Probably <laughs> so. This last one, like I said, I'm not going to share all 12, but it goes back to what you just brought up for us a moment, Delise, ago with God's loving correction, is the idea that because something once strongly affected our life, meaning in a kind of a negative way, it should indefinitely affect it. But it doesn't, Right? through forgiveness, through God's mercy and grace, through correction, right? It doesn't. In fact, God says repeatedly, I choose to not let it impact our relationship. That's what he said a couple of times in Hebrews. I will remember your sins no more. So it doesn't indefinitely. Of course, being covered and, and washed by the blood of Christ and robed in his righteousness, 
Now, on the one hand, as believers with wisdom, we would say there might be still some consequences that we have to deal with, accept responsibility for. And yet, on the other hand, I don't face the, anywhere near the consequences that I would deserve because Christ has taken my sin upon himself. And I have his forgiveness and his grace and can never be separated from his love. So, but those beliefs, and I just bring it up for that, you know, just touch on them for a moment to expose, these are common. When, when Albert Ellis wrote these 12 lists, you know, list of 12, it's because they were common among people. And so Satan is still at work trying to, you know, divert us from Christ. And so Peter says, rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And, uh, and the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. The spirit of God and his glory rests on you. How are we doing? So I think one of our prayers can always be, God, remove the faulty belief thinking and replace it with the perspective and beliefs and the truth he would long for us to have. Any comments there before I read the next little section of verses? Would you see that uh, maybe an attitude of gratitude, of, of understanding uh, uh, of the kindness being extended to you, I've noticed that it, it, it doesn't solve all the problems, but it certainly lifts my spirits up to being grateful to ask the Lord to show the kindness of what he has given us. And I think as you described that, Steve, I know that comes from a heart of humility. And, uh, and that's exactly where Peter goes next. But it's certainly not just a false piety. Because false piety would say, look at me. Look at how I'm enduring all this suffering. Aren't I great? But the humble attitude would be I can, an attitude of gratitude. Yeah. So let's look at these next verses, uh, Steve, since you led us there. So now he comes up with a transitional statement. Peter says, however, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. Wow. That you bear that name. And I know we've talked about this before. And, and as Lutheran believers, we sometimes will make the sign of the cross uh, upon our forehead and our own heart. That's reminding us that he put his name on us. Right? That's what that means, is that he has placed his name upon us as those who have been redeemed. Verse 17 for it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. Wow, that's a strange place for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? So Peter's heart is aching for those who are still living in rejection to God's gift, in rebellion to his love. He's saying, you know, if, if we endure suffering, what about those who don't believe in Christ? Their suffering will be immeasurable. And so his, his heart is aching for them. And he goes on, he says, And it is hard for the righteous to be saved. Well, he's quoting again what Jesus has talked about several times. He says, It is hard for the righteous to be saved. What will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Well, he's now, notice what Peter's done. The righteous are the ungodly if it's their own righteousness, if they're trusting in their own good works, if they're trusting in their self-righteousness, they are still a sinner, they are still ungodly, and they still are under the wrath of God. Because they are not, they have not received the forgiveness that Christ won for them on the cross. So then, 
Those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. So as I mentioned, this is, this is not simply just kind of positive thinking. It is truly a, a belief, a belief that is experienced daily in what, what I have heard and, and have kind of, you know, I didn't coin the phrase, but I love it, so I've adopted it. And it's uh, scriptural treasure hunting or spiritual treasure hunting. And uh, a great example of this, I mean, we can see it it's throughout the pages of, of the salvation story. But one that's just so kind of up front and in your face, I think, is Joseph. So Joseph, right, hardships, suffering, could have said the very same things that Peter says, this is really strange that my brothers are seeking to kill me. This is a strange thing, the suffering that I'm enduring from my own family, my brothers who hate me and have plotted to kill me and throw me in a pit and sell me to slave traders. And I end up in Potiphar's house, but then I get framed and thrown in prison. And then I spend years in the dungeon and I'm forgotten by other prisoners who are brought back to Pharaoh's court. And I mean, right? He could have said, this is really... I didn't see this coming. I thought I was the favorite one. I thought I had blessing upon me. I mean, I can't tell you the number of people I have shared life with over the years where they have said those very words to me. I thought I was living right. I thought I was doing good. I thought I was obeying God, and I just don't understand why this pain has entered my life. And Joseph could have said the same thing. I don't understand why, from my own brother's, it's interesting that the, when he's uh, promoted the second under Pharaoh and, and with wisdom, godly wisdom, by the, his dreams over there, but I find it interesting over there when he, he encounters his brothers and says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And that's after he's done his treasure hunting. Exactly. That's been his spiritual treasure hunting. Yes. And, and, this, and the, the, you know, as, as uh, God gave that word to Moses and he recorded it there, I don't know when... Joseph came to that point of treasure hunting that out, but we know the outcome, and that's what Peter says here. The outcome is that Joseph could say, yeah, what you did was wrong. What you did hurt, but what you meant for evil, God has turned into good. And not only good for Joseph, now I mean living in second command right under Pharaoh, ruling Egypt really, but what does he say? For you. For your salvation. God has done this. And that's, that takes us back to our whole conversation about it's not just about me. It is what the sufferings I endure by faith in Christ and, and, and trust in God's love are for other people. Is it interesting that as uh, Joseph is going through there, he gets sold into slavery, but he goes to Potiphar's house. Everyone that's seen his life and what's happened, it's just the hand of God was on Joseph. So Potiphar gives him the whole thing. He goes, they gets thrown into jail. The jailer puts the whole jail under his authority and whatnot. It's just everywhere he goes, the Lord's seen, hand seems to be just a testimony. Right. Uh, people could see it for whatever reason. I don't know. But, but a, praise God that you bear his name. He, well, he, they, and, he does. Yeah. And so that becomes evident even in those times, maybe especially in those times of suffering. So then, you know, so Joseph can look back and say, you know, all these things that you did and the hardships I went through, now I've treasure hunted them. I'm not just saying, wow, isn't it great that things turned out the way they should have, you know, back to our irrational beliefs. But thank God that he was the author of all this and it was to save 
you and ultimately all of creation because Christ comes from the line of isn't Judah. It, isn't it uh, curious that a lot of times as we go through life, what's going to happen to my son? What's going to happen to this job? What's going to happen? I mean, daily for everybody, you're going through there. You know, Joseph may or may not know he was going to get promoted to second king, but how many of us we're, we're curious today, well, what's going to happen when I go home? I'm working on this. I, is that going to happen? And so it, it's almost, uh, when you say treasure hunting, it's interesting that you don't know what the other people are going through, but you might be part of that solution of, of being a hand to that. Right. And there's two ways we can go as you describe that, Steve. We can either live in anxiety and fear, or we can live in trust and hope. So back to what you brought up for us, Delisa, about the correction, and even what you just mentioned there, Steve, is we don't, What's, what's next is uncertain, and especially in the realm of suffering and trials. And so the, uh, James, as he writes his letter, he starts out his letter, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter trials. It's almost like he's picking up where what Peter left off, and he's saying, Rejoice when you find your life and experiencing hardship and suffering. And he's, again, I just want to emphasize his point. James is not just saying, you know, yay, yay, rah, rah, think positively. And he says he gives the core foundation of belief for it. And it's ultimately that God is working in your life for your faith and the faith of others. Jesus Christ will always engage in our lives for the sake of our faith and the faith of others. Yeah, you know, when you were talking about Joseph, that is one thing. From the time my kids were little, every morning we'd get up, and Romans 8:28 is my verse that I instilled in them and that we would say together every day. And it says, <clears throat> And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. We know. So we don't hope. We don't think. We know that yes, all things, not just some, not that, we know that every single thing that happens is going to work together for good to those who love God. The promise isn't for everybody, but the promise is for those who love God. And so, you know, I that scripture, like, I pray it to God all the time. You know, I don't understand what's going on, but you promise me that all things work together for good. So I trust in you, and so even like Job, I can say, though you sleep me, yet will I trust you. And every time he comes through, every single time and there are blessings it doesn't mean it's not hard but every single time it comes through and that's an important message at least it doesn't mean all things are good that's not what he promises in that verse and that's the miracle that's the if all things were good that's easy for god to say yeah but god in his great wisdom and power takes all things many times awful things and still works things together for good. And that's the point of Joseph, right? Takes all things, awful things, and works them together for good and salvation. And yep. Isn't that a, a, a conundrum, though? And you mentioned, at least when you mentioned Job over there, I always laugh at, at that book over there because the thing is most people aren't paying attention. God comes out swinging and challenges Satan. Have you considered my servant Job? Loves God, hates evil. I mean, he, he just slaps his well, You've got a hedge run. I can't get to him. I mean, you, you, you kind of body. And he says, well, whatever you do, you know, and I just, I love that. You know, the, the hard things, Job's just ignorant. Well, what's this happen? And then it rains on him. rains yeah. on his prey. He's being tested. And, you know, Satan himself is doing it. And then you're just going, wow, that's. And Job could have said the same thing. Why are these, what's this strange thing that's happening? <laughs> 
But yeah. I will trust Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Perfect. Whatever God chooses to do, our faith is in him. Even if he does not save us from you, King Nebuchadnezzar, in your furnace, our faith is in him. Right? So that brings me to the last thing I want to share with you from James chapter 1. Is, so then he goes on and says, this could just sound silly. But he's, in the end, what he's saying is we need wisdom. Because trials come for all kinds of reasons. They come because I'm broken and I make broken decisions. And I live broken life. They come because you all are broken. And you know what? Because of what you guys do, sometimes I pay. <laughs> you know, it's just hope that made sense. You know, because we live with broken people, we hurt each other, and we live in a broken world. And then we have Satan out to get us. And I don't think that's a conspiracy theory. I think it's true. And then we also have God correcting us. How are we going to know why the suffering has come into our life? So we ask God for wisdom. And the bolstering of our faith, because that is the good work he promises us, promises to do for us. Anything else, Jess? You know, it's just one of those things that I think about with my boys is instilling in them, because, you know, they get frustrated with some things and how people live their lifestyles, or they don't believe this or that. And I told them, I said, you know, you need to remember God works and you plant seeds. And depending on what you plant today, may come to fruit 40 years from now, but what you did today made that difference, and you can make it for good, or you can make it for bad. You need to look at how you're planting those seeds for others. That's an awesome word to wrap up on. You never know when it's going to occur, but that's not our time. No. Paul says, I plant, Apollos watered, God made it grow. So, yeah, I just love that, Jess. We have opportunities every day to determine what kind of seeds we'll plant that day. So, Father in heaven, thank you for the mercy and grace that you have poured out so abundantly upon us. Grant us faith that we might receive it in whatever circumstances we find ourselves in. And, Father, join us together with Christ, rejoicing in his suffering and rejoicing in his victory. And help us, Father, plant seeds of love. Help us to be fruitful in your name and for your name's sake. Hey everyone, reminder that on Memorial Day weekend on Sunday, May 26th, we will have one worship service at 10 a.m. with a barbecue potluck to follow. Hot dogs will be provided, but please bring a dish to share. Also on June 8th, there will be a women's tea sponsored by Lutheran Women in Mission for tea, fellowship, and learning Bible study techniques. If you have any questions, you can call the church office.